Hey, this is Andy Jenkins, and welcome back to the podcast. And I say welcome back because it has been, I think, about two to three months before or since I've actually recorded new content uh, for this feed right here. Maybe even more than that. Uh, I tell you, in the last several months, there has been a whirlwind, a lot of change. And and I'm trying to get some projects completed and put them not off on the back burner, but put them to where they're in this status where they can actually be used and shared. And so as a result, in the last few months, I've read several of the books that I have, uh, put those in audiobook form, I have shot the video for two video courses. We have published the planner. Uh, you can get links to all of those resources. I'll, I'll put all of that in the show notes down below. Uh, but that leads me to the chance right here where I can start doing some new ongoing regular content uh, with you. By the way, let, let me do a commercial really quickly before I, I move into this. Today's actually, it's, it's Easter, Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. This is the day where all across the world people are celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead. It's Sunday afternoon. I am here in my office up at the hilltop where, you know, I've got this series of windows that overlook really kind of the side yard where there's this ravine and all these trees. Uh, It's just this beautiful plot of land that is so close in the middle of the city, uh, near everything, yet the way it backs up towards the river and the woods, it all seems so secluded, almost like you're living on a retreat in the middle of nowhere. And so I, I tell you that because Every month now, we are launching back into those uh, hangouts at the Hilltop, the Hilltop hangouts that we were doing really before COVID started. We had cranked right into those, and then it was just, boom, you got to stop. And for a while, that made sense to really just pause and see what we're dealing with with COVID, and then uh, pause and let people really sort through where they stood on all the health issues and the risks and all of that information and then we had a wedding here and then we hit into the holiday season and so we're back at that point where now it seems like this is a great season to re-crank that up and so the the next date is april the 20th so depending on when you're listening to this if if the 20th is still uh in the forefront of your calendar then send me a direct message private message if you're here local to birmingham and want to join us uh, it's something we'll be doing regularly and i'm looking on the calendar right here i'm actually flipping through calendars in front of me you may hear it there in the background and it seems like that is the one two third tuesday of the month we used to do these on thursday third Tuesday, and the plan is that for to, to be a regular ongoing gathering. Now, if you want information about what that is and how it works and what we're doing, um, we're going to cook out and have a lot of food. You know, just PM, DM us for more information or just check some of the uh, Facebook or Instagram stories where we've posted all about that. That's all the information right there. Or you can drop into the Facebook group. Uh, there's a link on that right there in the show notes as well, the Hilltop Hangout, and you'll find everything going on right there. Really what we're trying to do is help people find balance and growth in the seven key areas of life and step forward, move forward together. And sometimes that means we challenge each other in the same areas. Sometimes that means we call out the best in each other in other areas, or we remind each other of the greatness that's inside of them. All of that information is right there for you in the links. All right. Four minutes into it, haven't yet said a thing about the topic. Here it is. 
Today, I want to actually talk to you about the resurrection because this is the day where all across the planet we celebrate that 2,000 years ago Jesus rose from the dead. That's actually not something that's even widely contested by atheists, agnostics, other religion. Uh, I mean, the crazy thing is people contest the flood. They argue about creation, but <laughs> rarely do people uh, argue or contest the notion, the fact of the resurrection. Here's what's interesting too, and the part, purpose of this episode is not to get into that and to, to debate it. The purpose of this is to say 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just Jesus that rose from the dead. It was actually also you. And everything that's true of him because of that day 2,000 years ago actually occurred to you. In fact, in, in Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 14, Paul is just laying out this long blessing of praise. And, and he says something like, Praise be to the God of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He goes on and on. In Him you were chosen, you were predestined according to his plan who works out everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And I love this phrase, and obviously I'm skipping a lot of words in here. I love this phrase right here, and he says, and you were also included in Christ. You were included. And so often I think that that terminology right there, included in Christ, just means, oh, hey, I'm I'm one of his. Uh, God is for me, not against me. God likes me. He wants me. And, and I'll say this, that's that's an incredible message. That is solid. And that is something that you could live on and love. And it would propel you through life in an amazing way. But it's only part of it. When the scripture talks about you being included in Christ, it goes farther, deeper, richer, fuller. It is actually saying that you are so in sync and aligned with him that everything that occurred to him actually occurred to you too. Let me let me kind of set it up by a story and then we'll flesh it out in scripture because I want to share with you five things that are true of Jesus that are actually now true of you. Here's here's kind of the intro story for that. I, I remember when I was young, I grew up in the church. As I've told many of you, I think I was in church the Sunday after I was born. Uh, and I remember routinely, regularly, I, I was always fortunately a part of very dynamic, encouraging, thriving churches. My dad was, was the pastor and did an amazing job. And I have, uh, yeah, yeah, some hurt from the church, but a lot of mainly fond memories of those seasons of life. And, and I get it where people talk about being hurt by church people and how church people can be legalistic and all of that. And I've seen that for sure. Yet I have maybe a different perspective based on my experience. I've seen both sides of it, lived through both sides of it. But the but the churches in which I grew up, in which I was raised, they, they were rich, full, phenomenal, and the, the the farther they get back in the rear view of, of life, in the mirror there, the more fully blessed I see that I actually was and the opportunity that I was I was given. 
Now, consequently, I saw a lot of people baptized. <laughs> that is really, uh, for lack of a better term, the public declaration of your faith when you become a Christian. And I understand all different denominations disagree on how people are baptized or even when they should be baptized. Some people believe you should be baptized when you're an infant. Uh, some people believe, no, you do that after you make a decision later in life to follow Christ. And and so they call that like believer's baptism. Now, because I grew up in a Baptist church, that's what we practiced was believer's baptism. We did not baptize infants. I'm not against that. That's not the point of this conversation. I'm just saying People were baptized when they made a public declaration of their faith. That was kind of their coming out. I'm joining the team. I'm part of all of this. That's when they're, you know, putting on the jersey, putting on the wedding ring, whatever analogy you want to use. That's when they went public with with their faith. And because I grew up Baptist, and we believe the word baptism, baptizo, it means to submerge, as in to bury in the water, we we practice baptism by immersion. Like you literally didn't sprinkle somebody. You put somebody fully under the water and then, and then brought them up. And we, we saw this happen regularly because they were, there were always people in those churches that were coming to faith in, in Christ. So I remember when I was younger, always thinking, what in the world does this mean? What, why do we do this? I mean, it was, it was captivating. And I remember people celebrating it. But I didn't really understand why we did it other than the fact of looking back in the scripture and we see that Jesus did it, that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And so that was really kind of my recollection. Oh, Jesus did this. I'll, I'll do this too. And it's just we do it because we do it. Now, one day somebody explained it to me. They said, no, no, it, it's kind of like a movie uh, except for the person that's being baptized is acting out the movie right there in front of you. I mean, kind of like a, a human video. And as I probed and asked some questions, they explained, no, it means it means really that everything that Jesus did in the past, like it happened and you're demonstrating that in the act of baptism, again, through submersion baptism, not sprinkling, you're identifying that that happened to Jesus, but you're also identifying that that reality happened to you in the moment and that it happens to other people. And so as I, as I asked him, hey, dive on that a little bit. What what do you mean? The person I was speaking to explained, well, that, that word baptism, baptizo, it means to bury. And we are literally burying the person in the water, just like Jesus died on the first Good Friday, and then they buried him in the grave. We are literally saying that the old self is dead, and we're burying you in the water. But in the same way Jesus didn't stay in the grave, he came up out of the grave three days later, and the tomb was left empty. We are bringing that person up out of the water. Jesus was raised, new life, we're saying that that person is raised to newness of life right there. So it is literally this analogy. It is literally this movie. It is this reality of what is happening in front of us. And the person explained, they, they continued on. They said, you know, and, it, and it's not just the reality of what happened in the past with Jesus, not just the living reality of what is happening to the person in the moment. It is also this declaration of what will happen in the future. So baptism is a past, a present, 
and a future declaration that like first Thessalonians 4:16 says that when Jesus returns the dead in Christ will jump up out of their graves first and then we all together will be caught up with him so if there are people who have died now my grandparents uh, close family members and friends of yours of mine people that I, I grew up in that church with that have gone on and have died in faith in Christ before Christ returns, that baptism is a declaration, not only that Jesus died in the past and came back to life on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, not only that, in this moment, I've died and I'm alive, which all that's really what I want to talk about in this podcast episode, but in the future, those who have died in Christ jump up out of those graves, go meet him in the sky, and then we're all caught up together in the future with him. I mean, it is this powerful, rich picture. You know, if you thought you could fit God in the box, you, you kind of got to think a different way and say, well, there, there's not even a box. There, There's just, I mean, the, the, the box on that has just exploded. So in this episode, what I want to do is, is I want to share with you five things that the scripture says that you were included with, and it all with Christ, and it all really has to do with that baptism analogy right there and what's going on. Okay, so here's number one. First, first thing, it says this. The Bible says that I, you, were crucified with Christ. That, that, that is, I was actually there, you were actually there, the definitive death of human history, it happened to us. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, you, I, our spirit man, person, transcended time and space, it got crucified too in that moment. Now, I know that sounds strange, but you can read it for yourself at multiple places in the New Testament. Here's here's two. Galatians 2.20 says this, Paul writing, I've been crucified with Christ, have been, passed. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, he's talking about in his body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the moment that Jesus died, Paul is saying that he and me and you died too. Romans 6, 6. We know that our, now catch this, old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul's declaration here is that on the cross, it wasn't that just Jesus died for sin. You know, the wages of sin is death. He didn't just die for sin. In a real sense, we died on that cross to sin. He, he died to make the payment for our sins as a perfect sacrifice. In that moment also, we died so that sin would lose its grip on our spirit. Uh, we're crucified. Okay, second thing. Not only are we crucified with Christ, uh, this one's very closely related Crucified means number two, I died, you died with Christ. Uh, do you remember, if you've read the story in John 19, at the end, it was uh, getting to be, they crucified Jesus around 3 p.m.-ish. It was getting close to sundown uh, that Friday, which would have marked the Sabbath. The Sabbath, it was Saturday back then, was what they celebrated as the Sabbath. Uh, days officially began at sundown, not sunrise. And so it was evening and then morning the first day is what Genesis says, and then evening, and then morning the second day, evening, then morning the third day. They, they celebrated the, the beginning of a new day with the sun down, and so rest 
came first. The Sabbath started approximately 6 p.m. on Good Friday. Again, it was marked with the sun going down, not necessarily with the clock. So they had to remove Jesus from the cross. He died, and the soldiers had gone because they knew they had to get him off the cross to check and make sure Jesus and the two criminals with whom he was crucified were dead. Uh, And if not, they were going to break the bones in their knees so that they couldn't pull themselves up and breathe any longer. They would just asphyxiate. They, They would just die for lack of oxygen in that moment. Scripture actually even tells us they smashed the legs of the other thieves, John 19, 31 through 33, Uh, But Jesus was already dead, and they confirmed that by puncturing uh, a spear through his side. It went up his abdomen, and then it punctured his heart, opening up a fountain of blood and water, John 19, 34. Now, Paul's right there, footnote, in other places I've written how I really think he bled there, and it has a lot to do with emotional health and healing. Um, That's a topic for war another time. My point here for this discussion is not only, not only point number one, you're crucified with Christ. Point number two is you and I died with Christ on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago. Colossians 3.3 says, you, you listening, me speaking, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. Romans 6.5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, when he died, we're there. We are permanently included in Christ, which means crucified and dead with him. Uh, Some of you have read Watchman Nee before. Uh, He... Uh, was, was in prison for his faith. He has this book, The Spiritual Man, and he talks about that Romans 6 passage, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. He, he writes this in The Spiritual Man. He says the, the original is in the aorist tense. Now, don't worry about remembering the tense, the verb tense. He just says this. He continues that that tense denotes that our old man was once and forever crucified with him. As the cross of Christ is a fact accomplished, so our being crucified with him is additionally an accomplished fact. Whoever questions the reality of the crucifixion of Christ, he continues, why then should we doubt the reality of the crucifixion and death of my old man? Now, here's why I bring that up. Quote's finished. So often you might have heard people say, well, you just need to die to yourself and you need to die daily. And you need to take up your cross and die. And, and yeah, Jesus said that. He said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. But all of those things were said before the event of the cross in which, whereby, we were all included. You see, Watchman Nee, he also says this, quote, Nowhere in the Bible are we told to be crucified. This has been done and done perfectly by Christ already. We only need to see it as an accomplished fact. Now, you see, um, what we're getting at here is, number one, crucified with Christ. Number two, we died with him. We died to sin. 
And, and that means that we are set free from the grip, from the enslavement of sin. Like, like it no longer has this hold on you. If, if you walk through any graveyard today, uh, dead people aren't doing anything. They're not doing the sins that they did when they were alive. Um, everything about their old life has lost its hold on them. Why? Because they died. And in the same way that dead people, I mean physically dead people, don't do anything that they used to do when they were living before, Paul is somehow making this the same analogy, that spiritually you are now, in the old sense, dead, and things that happened that you did before, you you are dead to certain things. Now, now I know that brings up the question, well, why do I still struggle with you know X, Y, and Z? Well, maybe we'll talk about that in the next episode because I just shot this video course on, on soul wholeness and discuss the body and the soul and the spirit. And I think that would be a great thing to wrap on here while it's fresh in my mind because, again, just shot a video course on that. Those are our first two inclusions, though. Crucified with Christ, died on the cross with Christ. Number three is this. They buried me and you with Christ. They didn't leave him on the cross. They took him down. Uh, Paul writes this, Romans 6, 4. We were buried with him by baptism into death. And in fact, that's what baptism is illustrating. Remember, you've, you've probably seen this at a church before. Somebody's standing there in the water, and then the, the minister, the pastor, uh, gently leans them back, signifying they're going down, they're going down, they're dying, they're dead, and then under the water, buried. That happened. That first Good Friday evening, Jesus buried in a borrowed tomb. And Scripture is saying right here that you and I were buried in that borrowed tomb with him. Why borrowed? Because he wasn't going to need it that long. You and I weren't going to need it long either because number four, the fourth inclusion, is not just number one, crucified, two, died with Christ, number three, buried with Christ, number four, we arose with him on that first Easter morning, that first resurrection Sunday. He didn't remain in the grave. We didn't remain in the grave any more than he did. In fact, Paul tells us plainly that we were buried and that we arose. Buried and arose. The the next part of that verse, I I just read Romans 6, 4. We were buried with him by baptism into death. It continues, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk now in newness of life. Uh, In another passage in Ephesians 2, he says, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in foolishness, even when we were dead in just list off all the dumb things that we've done in life to hurt ourselves, to mess up our destiny, to hurt others, to thwart their destiny. Even when we've done all of those things, when we were dead in trespasses and almost couldn't help ourselves but to make the wrong decisions. He says, even in that moment, we we died in sin, but then we were made alive together. Not made alive in more sin, but made alive together with Christ. He continues, by grace you've been saved. Uh, another passage, Romans 6, 8 through 11. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. So you also must consider yourselves. It's an accounting term. You must reckon yourselves. You must look at the balance sheet and move yourself from a debt 
to a credit is what he's he's saying. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin. You owe nothing there, in other words, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 6, 8 through 11. I, I like this way Paul elaborates right here and draws out. He uses a couple <laughs> fancy big Bible words. Um, let, let me explain. He says, Romans 4, 25, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That That is, Jesus was handed over to Pontius Pilate because of our sins, is, is what he's saying. And then he was raised up, he arose for our justification. So he died because of sin. That means we died because of sin. You died because of sin. I died because of sin. He arose, according to Romans 4.25, because of righteousness. That means you arose because of righteousness. I arose because of righteousness. Um, the, the, again, the word right there is justification. That word, justification, a big Bible word. It, it means that we've received a complete reset of who we are and what we're designed to be. And In fact, I've heard pastors say it like this. And this, this sounds cliche and... I, uh, I, would, I would almost say I hate bumper sticker theologies, but, but in a lot of them, there's a lot of truth if you really mind the depths of them. I, I just don't like the ones that are so simplistic that they're untrue, or they just sound clever, but they lack any kind of meaning. Some pastors say justification, it denotes the concept of just as if I'd never sinned. And that's exactly what Paul gets into right here, uh, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins. He was raised, so we were raised, for our justification, just as if we had never sinned. It's a complete reset of what God designed when he created us from the beginning. And it's an interesting word, because when we're caught in a sin, when we're caught in a lie, when we're trapped in a snafu, we tend to get this word justify while we messed up. We don't just tend to own it and go, oh, I, I, yeah, I was wrong. We tend to justify it. God's justification works the other way, though. Through our death on the cross, because we're included with Christ, through our subsequent burial with Him, and then our resurrection with Him, the Father explains to us, not just justification for the reason for sinning, it's a justification as if the sin never occurred in the first place. It is this beautiful picture, again, because the total inclusion is, number one, crucified with Christ. Number two, died with Christ. Number three, buried with Christ. Number four, arose with Him. New life is if you never sin. And number five, here's the final point, we ascended with him. So after Jesus arose from the dead, the scripture says that he appeared over 500 people at, at different times. In fact, there are at least 10 instances, 10 stories in the Bible where he appears to different people at different times. Some of them overlap at the empty tomb. You know, as Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener, that's one. Uh, there's another one where he appears with the two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. There's another example when he appears to the disciples in the upper room when they've locked all the doors and he just appears to them behind the locked doors. You know, there, there are 10 different times where he appeared to over 500 people. And then after that, in a period of 40 days, he ascended up to heaven. 
And now he sits in the throne room of heaven at the right hand of the Father. Here's what Paul says about that. And and that's something that Christians all believe. We all believe that that's where he is right now, that he's on the throne, that he's not just kind of wandering somewhere. But notice what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 20 and 2, verse 6. I'm I'm just going to read it. Here it is. The Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, notice this is a past tense item. This is not, hey, in the future, will be with him. This is kind of a double speak type thing in Christianity where when you get when you get into Christianity a lot of things they just don't fit in the box. Again, you can't fit a tidy box. Jesus is the lion and he's the lamb. He is the servant and he is the king. The first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Right now we are walking on planet earth and we are simultaneously crucified, dead, buried, arose and seated with him at the right hand of the Father. It's an incredible reality. And it it leads us to this point where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16 that because of all of this, because of the bigger picture, you can't look at anyone and judge them solely based on the biblical term is the flesh. Now, a lot of times people that like me that attend a church, grow up in church, all that, we, we necess- necessarily think of the flesh as a negative term. It's not. It's neutral. Uh, when we say in the flesh, we mean people are doing things in their own strength, in their own human capacity, in their physical ability, in their, their mind, what they can think, what they can feel. Uh, generally, we're juxtaposing that as according to what they can do in the power of the Spirit. And so, because of that, sometimes the Bible uses the flesh in a negative sense. But the the term itself is just neutral. And so, uh, Paul is using it here in a neutral sense and saying, hey, the flesh is your appearance. It's what you look like. Uh, It's part of it's your personality. Uh, And so, he uses it in this neutral term and says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.16, quote, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And you go, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. How, how could we? Because there's so much more going on. Um, people made wrong assessments about Jesus all the time. When they looked at him in the flesh, uh, many assumed that he was an Old Testament prophet that had come back to life. Many assumed that he was John the Baptist or Elijah. Uh, others assumed, like in Mark 3, his family assumed he had lost his mind. Others assumed, in John chapter 8, that he was the illegitimate son of a soldier and or a Samaritan uh, that happened to be born to Mary, that she wasn't virtuous. Um People assumed sometimes that he was even a ghost. We see that happen multiple times throughout the New Testament. Yet, Paul and the gospel writers 
pull it back and show, no, 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 no. There was so much more going on in that one man that in the rearview mirror of history, his life literally split history in two. Now it's easy for us 2,000 years ago to look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously that that happened. Things changed in a significant way when he was here. But re- remember, at that time, people were still questioning and wondering and, and doubting and they're topsy-turvy about this whole thing. And Paul's saying in the same way that you couldn't just regard him as a man. You can't regard me as just a man or you as just a man or a woman either. There is so much more depth to you than sometimes what we see. It's just like Simon Peter. You know, the, the call of Simon Peter is really interesting because if you look at him according to the flesh, his name is Simon. His name means reed, twig, shifting sand, bendable, breakable. And Jesus renames him and calls him a rock. Jesus, in other words, doesn't regard him according to the flesh. He regards him according to something more, to what he sees through the eyes of the Spirit. The problem is, for the next 30 or 40 pages of Scripture, for the next three years that he lives, Peter has these moments that are burst of glory, followed immediately, instantly by these bursts of reed, twig, shifting sand. He doesn't seem like a rock at all until after the resurrection when Christ renews himself and renews all things. What, what's the point in it? The resurrection event, the Easter event, ah, the way that some of the reformers, even like Martin Luther, the man who knocked the 95 theses on the castle church in Wittenberg and launched really unknowingly and unintentionally the Protestant Reformation, the way they would say it was what happened with that whole event that we just talked about and the five ways that you were included in Christ because you were crucified, you died, you were buried, you arose, and now you're ascended. They would call this whole whole thing This glorious exchange that at that event, somehow Christ took all of the old stuff that was the old you, and because you're there with him, he resurrects, and you resurrect, and in that whole process, something is exchanged and transformed, and everything that was his becomes you. So so much so that Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that when you look at him, It's now as if you're looking in a mirror. When you look at the countenance of Jesus, it's like you are looking, you are looking in a mirror. And in 1 John 4, 7, we see passages that say, as he is, so also are we now in this world. And I know, I, I know, I know, I know that the reality that you and I live, this physical reality that's full of schedules and bills and aggravations and quarantines and politics and, I mean, I mean shenanigans and, you know, corporations and movements and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. I know 
that so often it's easy to look at that and say, man, the world is headed to hell in a handbasket. And I don't know that I'm personally much better. It's easy to think that. But 2,000 years ago, there was a Good Friday upon which one of the most horrific deaths ever occurred. And on that good, bad, good Friday, a man was crucified and you were crucified with him. He died and you died with him. He was buried and you were buried with him. Three days later, he arose and you arose with him. 40 days later, he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father and you are seated with him. And that entire event calls you out of your past and into your potential. Out of the past, not even into the present. I mean, we're still working it out and sorting it out in the moment, and there are moments where it seems like our present's more like the past than the potential, but he calls you and me too into that potential of what he says is true about you. And that means all things, all things are new. You see it? My prayer for you is that this Easter season, this resurrection season, as you know, the world's been kind of closed up and closed off, and that not even to get political about all that, things are opening and people are starting to get out and stretch out, and there is the opportunity for so many things to be new. May you lean into as the Lord makes his face of favor shine upon you the reality that in this moment because of 2,000 years ago for you all things are new grace and peace I'll see you soon